You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. And I'm just going to tell you right ahead, they, Reese and Roger gave me the NC-17 letter, okay? Is NC-17 still a thing? Really raunchy, okay? This is not even, I'm not even bringing the raunch. It's already in the Bible. So there. So, you know, seasons, it's, you know, it's fall. It almost feels like fall for us. And, you know, seasons sometimes, you know, in our lives, you know, bring, you know, different things. And um, as Reese has mentioned to you on more than one occasion, uh, we launched our second kiddo into college. And that's been exciting and wonderful. Go dogs. And um, uh, so a lot of people keep asking me, what is it like to have just one child at home. Can we show the picture, please? That's that's what it's like to have one child at home. So Charlotte's doing something called shirting. Um, She has done this for a long time. You'll just be sitting at the table, eating dinner. You You think, oh, she's taken her plate to put it away. How good. And all of a sudden, a T-shirt's over your face. So, anyway, okay, we can go back to the title slide now. So, yeah. That's just where I'm coming from. I just want to let you know this is is where it is. Um, So, again, we're um, continuing the Urgent Love Letter series, and I also have to tell you that from the time Reese told me what the name of the series was, and every single time he has spoken, every single time Roger has spoken, the backdrop is just for me, foreigners, urgent. Do you, and if Facebook wouldn't shut us down, I would have played it when I walked up, because it's just, anyway, it's just in my head all the time. So today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, to the church in Thyatira, which sounds to me a little bit like an exercise something from the people that brought us Thymaster. It's like, but this is like Thyatira, so it's like a thigh and abs thing. Anyway, boy, this is going to be a hard group over here. You are my people. You can become my people. The door, oh, oh. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. He told me he had this, so anyway. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get this party started. Well, my party's already started, obviously, since I'm laughing up here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you And we just continue to welcome you in. We invite you in to come and do your good work. You invite us into a holy dance. And help us to say yes. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I am going to be, I'm going to read you the letter. And it is from the Living Bible. So, this is a message from the Son of God whose eyes penetrate like flames of fire, whose feet are like glowing brass. I am aware of your good deeds, all of your good deeds, your kindness to the poor, your gifts, service to them. I know your love and faith and patience, and I can see your constant improvement in these things. Yet, I have this against you. You're permitting that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach my servants that sex sin is not a serious matter. She urges them to practice immorality and eat the meat that has been sacrificed to idols. 
I gave her time to change her mind and attitude, but she refused. Pay attention now to what I'm saying. I will lay her upon a, upon a sickbed of intense affliction along with her immoral followers unless they turn again to me, repenting of their sin. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches deep within the heart, men's hearts and minds, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. As for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, the deeper truths as they call them, the depths of Satan really, I will ask nothing further of you, only hold tightly to what you have until I come. To everyone who overcomes, who to the very end keeps on doing things that please me, I will give power over the nations You will rule them with an iron rod, just as my father gave me the authority to rule them. They will be shattered like a pot of clay that is broken into tiny pieces, and I will give you the morning star. Let all who hear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. There's a lot there. Um, And so we're just going to jump right into it. So the actual city of Thyatira was a commercial town. It was small, but it was really busy. Um, they were really known for how beautiful their, how beautifully dyed their purple cloth was. That was a big thing. They also had folks that did lots of um, bronze work, uh, leather goods, wool goods. I mean, it was a city of artisans. It really was. Um, and these artisans were members of a guild or a trade union. Each trade union had its own deity or idol. At the meetings, there would be meals, and the food would first be offered to the deity or the idol. The meal would then be followed by orgies, not lying. To, to work, you had to be a member of the trade union. To be a member of the trade union, one had to participate in these functions. If you were a part of the church, if you were a follower of Jesus, this is a problem. The teachings of the church were in direct opposition. You don't eat food that's offered to idols, and you don't participate in sexual sin. The sexual activities were thought to be part of the worship to the deity um, of that particular trade union. You know, um, there's, I kind of think that in my little life, there's the Bible and Shakespeare and Seinfeld. There's, there's always truth, and actually, I'm using all three of them in this talk today. And, you know, there's a, there is actually a Seinfeld that relates to the whole orgy thing. And I'm not even going to go into the whole big thing, how it gets there. But look it up. It's very funny. Uh, he's just got himself to a big conundrum, but he's like, oh, no, I have to have orgy friends and get robes and lotions. And it's very fun and inappropriate. So I told you, I told you, I told you. So don't even. Um, but this is a big problem. But we'll get into the problem in just a second. First, let's look at the salutation. This is a message from the Son of God whose eyes penetrate like flames and whose feet are like glowing brass. This is an intense picture. If you remember last week, the picture of Jesus, he had this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This is just, this is a lot. So his eyes are like fire and his feet are glowing. Notice that in this particular um, version that I'm using, the word like is there. Um, Roger mentioned uh, 
a couple weeks ago, you know, the idea of metaphor. Well, this is a simile, same kind of thing. This is just the language that John had for what he was seeing. Um, and there, this idea of fire. Fire is a form of purity. And so many scriptures um, exist that talk about how our, our hearts will be, you know, kind of tried by fire to be purified. So this is a picture of Jesus as purity. And he calls himself the son of God. This is the only time he does that in this whole book. And this idea of the, the glowing feet, the bronze feet, the fire, this all has to do with the people who live in Thyatira. Remember what they do for a living, okay? They're artisans. Fire is a part of all, just the whole everything that they're doing, the, the, all the, the different trades. And the money that they have. Stamped on that money is a picture of the local big deity that they worship, which is Apollo, and then who they call the son of God, and that's the emperor of Rome. So Jesus is like, okay, I am the son of God. It's language that they can understand, but they see he is real. And there is nothing faults about him. There is the purity. His feet are burnished brass. Jesus has this wonderful way. If you look at the Gospels, he always, he's just the best teacher ever because he takes something that is small and concrete and that his audience can relate to. And he uses that to just blow our mind with these concepts of grace, love, and mercy. So, this is, he's setting it up. That's his greeting and salutation. So just try to get that in your head. The good parts. I have seen your good deed, your service to the poor. You are full of love, faith, and patience. And you're constantly improving. You are winning. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I think if I can do anything in that paragraph, I'm doing all right. They're doing all these things. And they're moving upward. It's not even like, ooh, you need to improve this. No, they're, they're already doing that. But we do get to the point where it's like, but then. And no one likes to be told what their faults are. And most of us, I hope, don't like telling people what their faults are. I guess there are some people that do like to do that. But um, like I've told my own children on numerous occasions, um, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't care what you did. And when I'm reminding your children in kids' church about a rule that we have. I have done that. I've been kids' pastor for 16 years, and I have done this since day one. Hey, stay off the stage. I love you. You know, quit hitting him. I love you. Okay? You know, it's just because they have to make that connection. It's not that church is no fun. Church is great fun. But, you know, there, there are rules and things. Jesus wants life. I mean, he's created life to be lots of fun, but he loves us or anti loves us. <laughs> Anytime Jesus points out to you an unhealthy relationship um, or highlights a flaw or a sin or a bad decision, it's, it's not out of cruelty. It is only out of love. So there's this great reference to Jezebel. Um, and if you aren't familiar with her, she's basically the Lady Macbeth of the Bible. And if you didn't read your Shakespeare, shame on you. And um, I'll explain it to you. 
So um, <clears throat> Jezebel was a Phoenician princess, and she married a prince of Israel named Ahab. Um, they became king and queen. She worshipped the nature god Baal and persuaded Ahab to do the same. Hence, the nation turned away from Yahweh, the true God. She had hundreds of God's prophets killed. And Ahab eventually repented. He was killed in battle. The day he was killed in battle, Jezebel was sitting in a window. Her servants, apparently she wasn't a good person to work for, her servants took her, threw her out the window, and she was eaten by dogs. That is a sad way to go, okay? So very evil. So, but you need to hear all that to understand the reference. She was basically leading people away from truth, away from joy, away from safety, away from love. Now, there's a leader in the church of Thyatira that's doing the same thing. She's telling people it's fine to participate in the activities of the guilds, that it is no problem to worship idols because it's for your job. Okay, it's for your job. Now, what does that have to do with us today? This is not an anti-union talk, okay? <laughs> um, instead of saying Jezebel as a person, I want you to focus on her as a culture um, or as a spirit. And it's about sex and control. The church was faced with the question, you play or you pay? And regardless of what you may think about the movements that have come about over the last few years that have really pointed out sex as a weapon, this culture of power, we need to, you really, I want to encourage you to really grab hold of the fact that there is real truth here, that there is real destruction, and it really happens to real, in real people's lives. Sex can be the best thing ever. It can, <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Um, I'm telling you, that side. I don't know what they... It can also be a weapon. And there are people who, uh, who are in our lives who we may have no idea have been assaulted by that weapon and controlled by that weapon. According to RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest, Na Incest National Network, Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, and every nine minutes, that victim is a child. And that's only in our country. This is the culture of Jezebel, control through sex. And you may be one of those victims, but there's healing for you. Satan may have held you captive with fear and shame, but the Christ whose eyes are flames and his feet are glowing bronze is here to rescue you. He'll rescue you through prayer and medicine. We believe here at the Vineyard that all healing comes through God. Seek God. And if we can help you find a therapist or, or any kind of healing prayer ministry, you just need to let the, the office know. It's completely confidential. Verse 21 and 22 I, have given, I gave her time to change her mind and attitude. I gave her time to turn to me and repent. He's talking about Jezebel, okay? He gave her time to repent. <laughs> Ponder this. He's calling out the, the bad guy, the perpetrator. And I'll be honest with you, as a 
person of faith or a Christian or a follower of Jesus or whatever term you like, I have a hard time with that until I look in the mirror, okay? Because we're the bad guy. We may not be throwing sex parties, but <laughs> we, we, uh, I'm not going to look at that side of the room, but we, um, we, uh, we, um, we all start out as an enemy of God. And he loved us just like we sang today. He loved us. He loves us. He continually gives us time to repent. Continually. Now, the crying portion of my talk, it wouldn't be me if there wasn't at least one. Okay, so on, wait a minute. Um, On October 17th, that will be, you know, I've said this before, but if I just smoked, I don't think I would cry. I just really think, I tried the water, it's not working. Anyway, on October the 17th, this will be four years since I had my breast cancer diagnosis. And I'm not going to bore you with the whole long gory story, except for one part, um, because it has to do with this idea of, of repentance. So um, I had lumpectomy, I had chemo, and I had radiation. And chemo is not fun. Um, there are lots of you that know that. It's just not fun. And so uh, it was during the winter time, and I wore beanie. I couldn't even go in the kids' building because um, your, your immune system is kind of non-existent. And so um, basically, I was fat, bald, and miserable, okay? Nothing I aspired to be. <laughs> and I would sit way over there because no one was sitting over there. Um, and we were still having two services and so there was a lot of space over there. And so I would sit there. And I remember one, one Sunday, I was about halfway through um, my treatments. And the worship team was up here. And they were just singing and worshiping and declaring how God was good. And I heard myself think, oh, I feel sad for them because they actually believe that. And then I was like, wait. The ground did not open up and swallow me. I'm going with this. And I really, um, in my heart, shook my fist at God and said, how could you let this happen? How could you have dropped the ball like this? Boy, talk about arrogance and pride. <laughs> um, and also, after I got all that out, just like a kid having a tantrum, then Jesus began to do a real work in my heart. You know, he, I, I was able to, to go forth and, and repent. Like I said, he constantly gives us time to repent. Now, that doesn't mean I ever came to or ever will come to any understanding why I and my family had to go through that. Um, and that's not really the point. The point is, how is this forming me? What is Jesus doing? What is his plan? When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not just for funsies. There's... There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a plan of what it's doing to you. To me, there's no beautiful theme than that of redemption, and whether it's um, in nature or in literature or in life. And there is this old vineyard worship song, and it's called At the Cross. I know a place, a wonderful place, where the accused and the condemned find mercy and grace 
where the wrongs we have done and the wrongs done to us were nailed there with him on the cross. The thing is, we have done wrongs and wrongs have been done to us. Um, the word agape, the word for love that's used throughout scripture, um, lots of times we think that that means we've got to have, you know, if we forgive somebody and we love them, they've got to be like all up in our business and all up in our life, and that's not necessarily true. Um, in Matthew, there's a, well, in the Amplified Bible, um, Matthew 5, 44 and 46, but I say to you, love that is unselfishly seek the best or higher good for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may know or show yourselves to be the children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on those who are evil and on those who are good. The rain will fall on the righteous, those who are morally upright, and the unrighteous, the unrepentant who oppose him. For if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. And there's a footnote, and the footnote is really what I want to, to highlight here. The statements about love, this Greek word agape, is not a matter of emotion, but it's more a matter of, are you doing something for the benefit of the other person, having an unselfish concern for them or a willingness to seek what's best for them? Jesus, Scripture, the Holy Spirit, all of it is not saying that you should be in toxic relationships, that you should be a doormat. That's not it at all. But if we don't forgive, then they hold us captive. That sin, that fear, that shame, it holds us captive. Forgiveness and repentance are only possible because of the unfathomable mercy of God. God searches deep within our hearts, deep within our minds. And he says this in this, in this scripture. And what does that mean? It means that he is not fooled by any of our outward appearance, any of our, oh, look what I did. Look what I, no, he sees us. He knows us. And he loves us. So the whole reason for the letter to Thyatira is repentance. And it's, uh, it's the reason for us today. What are our idols? What are things that we've left undone? Who are people that we have not loved? When we don't love God with our whole heart, with our whole being, we don't love our neighbors ourselves, then we need repentance. The believers who followed Jezebel and Thyatira, um, they, were, they were compromised. But as, like I said, we, we do the same. We may not be you know, going crazy doing awful, terrible things or what we would call awful and terrible, but we need Jesus. And I love the book of Common Prayer, and I love the prayer of confession. So I'm going to read that to you. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. To walk into the, in the forgiveness of God is to walk in freedom. Our sins have no hold on us. Our chains have been broken. The enemy is powerless. We are able to see the idols that we have for what they are. They are false. They are empty. They are plastic. We are able to see that we are valued and loved by the God of the universe. So the letter ends with good stuff. Okay, so we had a little sandwich action going on. Some good stuff, some hard stuff, and then you were going to end it with some good stuff. Um, those that haven't gotten involved in all this mess, hold tight. You have overcome, and if you do, you'll have the power to rule nations. Now, I don't know what that literally means, but I do think it indicates that if we put our trust in God, he's going to deliver us, and he's going to rescue us. Um, so like one of my favorite bands is R.E.M. I've seen them five times. Yes, the beautiful philosopher Michael Stipe. Anyway, he, they wrote this great song. And probably everybody knows it and we could all sing it, but we're not. Well, you can if you want to. Some brave soul out there. Everybody hurts. And the way that song ends is he and his odd little voice saying over and over, hold on, hold on. I want you to remember the statistics I gave you at the beginning. Every 68 seconds, there's an abuse. Every nine minutes, one of those is a child. That's an army of pain that's being created. And that's just one of the ways that we inflict pain on others. I have it inflicted on us. There's a myriad of ways and then we go through life as heat-seeking missiles looking for relief. And it's Jesus. It is Jesus. This is going to seem odd because it's only 11 o'clock. And technically, I have 15 more minutes. Um, I'll be your favorite because I let you out early. But I'm not really letting you out early. Um, I really want us to spend some time. Uh, in, in, in ministry. And I have some specific words um, that I'd like to, to give you. And if I can go and get the worship team to come up, and if I can get the prayer teams in place, I will just be quiet while this happens because I really need to get the prayer teams in place up front. And I want you to know that if you're thinking, oh, I am not going up there. I don't know those people that are going to pray for me. I want to assure you that anyone on the prayer team will hold your pain, your prayer, will hold it and honor it and offer it to Christ. Okay, awesome. So last Sunday, um, I, during worship, don't let this freak you out. This is just kind of how God speaks to me. I had this you know, vision, for lack of a better word. And I want you to try to get a picture of this. It's like if there's a hand reaching down and there's a hand that's you know, pulling like, you know, this, you know, you're holding on. 
And I was like, okay, it was, but the thing about it, I mean, the hand that was holding on was desperate, but the hand that it was holding on to was immovable. That is the hand of the Lord. And if you need to know that, then, then take that. Um, there's another thing that I, this morning, as I was just kind of praying over uh, the service, um, if you feel that God is silent, if you feel that God is impervious to your pain, I want to remind you that the sunrise is silent. I want to remind you that the earth turning on its axis is silent, but present. He is with you. He surrounds you. He has called you.